0: David, well, why don't we pray for you and uh, then we're in your hands. So let's uh, let's pray together. So Father, we thank you for, David, thank you for all that you've been at work doing in him and through him. Lord, we bless you for uh, all that you have prepared for uh, us at this time in this place. So Father, we say, yes, we want to hear your, your words, Lord, and uh, we pray that there be that word in season for each person here. Lord, we open ourselves to receive from you. And pray that you bless David as he shares with us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. So, uh, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, I say that in faith before I say anything. Uh, So in the course of the day, you'll get to know me, you'll get to know our team. Uh, Just to tell you what we're going to be doing, uh, this first session is really about hungering for more, desiring more of God, getting hungrier all the time. Uh, The second session is about why did Jesus die and what difference does that make? And the third session tonight is going to be about revival. Uh, And the aim is that by the end of the day, you're so red hot that when it comes to ministry, you're just, uh, just falling into the arms of God. Okay, so uh, uh, what I really want you to know is that, that God has a promise, and the promise is this: that uh, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea, as the Atlantic is wet, and that includes Stoke Gifford. Yeah, I'm glad you're excited by that. That's uh, that's really helpful. Just like to check your pulse first of all. I love the story of Tony Campolo, who was uh, speaking in a, a black Pentecostal church, which is always great, of course, because there's lots of, preach it, brother, and amen, and all that kind of stuff, and, and he was uh, preaching, and it was total silence, and so he thought, well, he must be uh, really bad that day, and he realized that, of course, there are certain signs that the anointing has come, uh, one of which, of course, is to take out your handkerchief, uh, mop your brow, uh, and, uh, of course, that gives an indication that the anointing is here, but, again, it was completely silent. And he thought, oh, this is terrible. He thought, oh, another sign of the anointing is if the veins on your neck kind of stand out. And so he, he really went for his veins and neck to up, and he was completely silent. And he thought, I, I'm really missing it. And then suddenly this, this dear lady uh, at the back, all bosom and voice, uh, stood up. And he thought, yes. And uh, she went, oh, Jesus, help him. So... Uh, <laughs> If you'd like to do that, that would be great. <laughs> so, really, what I want to do uh, today is I, this morning, this first session, I want to provoke your hunger. I want to provoke your hunger. I have ministered up and down the country, really. I, I, uh, I started in Toxteth in Liverpool as a parish worker evangelist. Uh, and, uh, and then I went back to Toxteth as a curate, got beaten up by the police. Knife at my throat, all kinds of exciting things there, that might come out. Uh, from there, I went to Woodford Green. Uh, and uh, in Woodford Green, uh, we had this extraordinary experience uh, of uh, 18 children dying in the congregation. My wife suffering two miscarriages while we were there. Uh, but my last Sunday, 60% of the congregation gave the life to the Lord. And I, I did something very illegal. I don't recommend this, but I used to go around... Uh, in a car with a loud halo and stop at traffic lights and share the gospel through the loud halo. It, it is illegal. Uh, I did get in trouble with the police, but it's quite exciting. Uh, and so when I went to Woodford Green, I went to uh, St. Barnabas, Finchley with John Cole, uh, Coles, and then from then I went to Dorset, Canford Magna, um, where for a time we were the fastest growing church in the country. I had no idea why, except for this reason. Uh, In addition to my day off, every Friday, I would lie on my face before the Lord from half past nine till half past three in total silence. And, uh, you know, it's not going to make a great book, is it, really? It's just one sentence. Uh, It's a kind of ladybird, early reader's guide to church growth. Uh, And uh, in in the course of, of that, Uh, i led 45 people to the lord one month just by leading them to the front door of the church as i led them to the front door of the church the spirit would fall on them they'd start crying i'd say do you know the lord they say no i said do you want to know the lord they say yes i say say after me dear jesus i'm a sinner come into my life and uh you know so 45 people were led to the lord that way in one month in january and then the kind of revival stopped it was an amazing experience I went there with uh, sort of one service every other week. By the time I left, we were having five services a Sunday. I went there with no youth workers. I ended up having 18 youth workers, which is a nightmare. Because <laughs> they all want to convert the world before breakfast. And, uh, and from there, I went to St. Michael of where I met Robin Vicky. It's very nice to, have to see them around here. And uh, from then, from St. Michael of I went to Cornwall, St. Hostel, Uh, And I was also director of mission in Truro Diocese, and maybe some of that will come out as well. Who knows? All right. I'm married to Ruth. Uh, I've got three boys, one of whom is here. There we go. Uh, The greatest thing, I think, about C.S. Lewis is that he wrote often of hungering for heaven, for longing, Uh, Who can forget Reepicheep? Do you remember Reepicheep? Uh, So, uh, Reepicheep was in the cradle as a mouse, obviously, and a wise woman spoke over him these words of prophecy. Uh, Elise Reepicheep says, I do not know what it means, but the spell of it has been on me all my life. And Lewis says of him uh, these words, While I can, I sail east in the dawn-treader. When she fails me, I paddle east in my coracle. When she sinks, I shall swim east with my four paws. And when I can swim no longer, if I have not reached Aslan's country or shot over the edge of the world in some vast cataract, I shall sink with my nose to the sunrise. All about longing, all about hungering, all about desiring. And it was C.S. Lewis who taught me, more than anybody else, that when I snuggle under the quilt as warm as toast, I'm experiencing something of God's love for me. When I, my children hug me, I'm experiencing the affirmation of my dad in heaven. When I hear the happy noises of children playing or waterfalls crashing or seas on the shore or the liquid calling of the curlew, I am hearing the delighted chuckle of my Heavenly Father. C.S. Lewis said this, Think of the greatest love you have ever known. It is only a shadow of the love God has for you. When you finally see him, you will know that you've just met the love of your life. You will know that he is what you've really been dreaming of and longing for in every desire you've ever had. You see... I only really want you to get this. Jesus said this, Blessed are all those who hunger and thirst for righteousness sake, for they will be filled. That dry itch at the back of your throat, that gnawing ache in the pit of your stomach, that's the beginning of starvation. And unless that is filled, unless that is satisfied, then you will end up spiritually starved. And the trouble with many churches in this country is their hunger is not provoked for more. There is always more. Whatever you've experienced of the Lord up to date, thank God, but there is more. There is more for you to know today. There is more for you to experience tomorrow. God is always coming towards his people. Revelation 1, he was, he is, he is to come, can legitimately be translated as the one who's always coming towards his people. He's coming towards you right now, in your circumstances, in your life experience. He's coming to you right now. He wants you to meet with him today. This is the day he's appointed from the foundation of the world to be a significant day in your life and in the life of this church. And what we fail to grasp is this, that so often the things that provoke desire in us We think that they themselves are what's important. We lock in on family, on careers, on friendship, on romance, on sex, on food, on drink, on houses, on books, on movies, on sports, on hobbies, on mountains, on rivers, on travel. But we'll find no satisfaction in them, no matter how hard we look, for the true object of our desire lies beyond the experience that arouses it. We mistake shadow for reality. All these experiences that provoke hunger and longing are but rays from the one sun, and we're to look along the beams of the sun till we find Father, Son, and Spirit behind every good and perfect gift. Hold your breath, please, now. Now breathe. That gift is from the Lord. In Him you live and move and have your being. If you just take His little finger off your life for a nanosecond, you'd be dead. If we satisfy our longings with substitutes, will only get continuing emptiness. And all joy awakens our desire for heaven, said C.S. Lewis. And the truth is this, as the writer to Ecclesiastes says, God has placed eternity in our hearts, and only God can fill our hearts. Why would we spend our life trying to find satisfaction in other things? Hello? Why would we try and, and, and look towards the created when God wants us to use the created to teach us of the creator? To turn in upon ourselves, to look to the created is to commit idolatry. To turn to the Creator and say, every good and perfect gift is a blessing from you. Every sunrise. G.K. Chesterton said this, every Christian should say, for what we're about to receive, may the Lord make us truly thankful. Before every sunrise and every sunset. Before every tree and flower. Before every book that is open. Before every movie that is gone to. Before every time a husband and wife make love. Before every time a child smiles. What the Lord... For what we're about to receive, may the Lord make us truly thankful. And it follows, folks, and you can check this in yourself, it follows really that our desires are not too strong. So our desires are too weak, our desires are too pathetic. In what's become a very famous image, Lewis said this, we are like children making mud pies in a puddle when there is a vast ocean for us to swim in. Your desire after God is like a muscle. And the more you hunger for God, the greater that muscle becomes, the more you know how to pull yourself into God's presence. So you say with a psalmist, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall fear no bad news. This is my conscious decision. I have set him before me like a muscle. I put myself in his presence. I can't escape from his presence. I will put myself in his presence. And as I do that on a consistent, constant basis, as I learn to build up my secret history with the Lord, as I learn to live before an audience of one, guess what? My muscle grows and I learn to love God for who he is, not just for what he does. Psalm 103.7 says this, The children of Israel knew God's deeds, but Moses knew his ways. I want to be like Moses. I want to know God's ways. Not just his deeds. I want to know what makes him tick. I want to know what's on his heart. I want to wake up knowing that Dad thinks this. I want to know his ways. I want to know what he's doing in Syria right now. I want to know what he's doing in our government. I want to know what he's doing in my area. I want to know what he's doing in Stoke Gifford. I want to know. And I do that by drawing close to the one who knows. Let me tell you a fairy story. It's a a true fairy story. In other words, it is a genuine fairy story. It's from Bulgaria or Hungary or somewhere. I'm not quite sure where, but it is. It's from Eastern Europe. And uh, those of you who've heard this before, I'm really sorry. But hey, if you're on a team from St. Andrews, you've got to smile and laugh, and you've heard all these stories before. So uh, there was a king in uh, one of these places, and he had two daughters. One was as beautiful as anything you can imagine, and the other was Plug Ugly. And uh, so because his heart was full of greed and avarice, he decided he would get as big a diary as he possibly could for the beautiful daughter. And verily, his heart's desires were satisfied. And then he looked at Plug Ugly and he thought, who on earth is going to marry you? And so he came up with a cunning plan. He thought he would get an artisan, the most skillful artisan he could find in the whole of his country, and make a beautiful mask that he would slap on Plug Ugly's face so that she was no longer ugly but beautiful but it was all a deceit you see and so some suitors would come and they'd see how beautiful Plug Ugly was and yes because the king's heart was given over to greed he would give a fat dowry to the king for Plug Ugly and then we'd be mad and it'd be too late and that is what happened except the daughter began to complain that the mask no longer fit as well as it once did and the king goes, stupid girl. That is the most amazing design. It's supposed to be perfectly fitted to the features of your face. Of course, it's, 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 it's exactly right. She said, no, no, no. It's, it's really not fitting as once it did. And so in great irritation, he tore off the mask and wonders of wonders. And this is where you go, ah. Wonders of wonders. She was no longer ugly but beautiful. Good church. <laughs> For her face had grown into the features of the mask. And here's the thing you become like what you behold. You become like you, what you behold. Change from glory into glory. Beholding him, Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Change from glory into glory. If I was to sit on you, you'd feel it. And that's the sense of the word glory. The word glory means weight. It means God has substance. God is not just a good idea, but he's a person who loves and relates and desires your company. Indeed, his very heart is he wants to be a companion with you. He wants to share bread with you. And as you spend time putting yourself in the presence of the Lord, you become what you behold. But if you fall in upon yourself and look upon yourself, you become withered and in some way debilitated and less than God intended you to be. And if you look up and out of yourself to him... Summons you to be the person God wanted you to be before the foundation of the world, you will find yourself resembling Christ. What do you reckon? The Lord is committed to hunger, but He's not committed to forced feeding. We get hungry through desire need and desire produces hunger hunger is produced through need going without makes us hungry Yet how sad it is that there's churches up and down the country who have got so used to doing without they've got a theology about it We don't have the gifts of the spirit we've done without them so we are cessationists The gifts of the spirit died They have a theology that explains their lack. How often we have to look into our own hearts and see what we find offensive to make sure that the reason we find it offensive is not because actually we lack those things. When it comes to our walk with the Lord, the Holy Spirit wants to provoke a deeper reality. And often the lack of his manifest presence produces yet more hunger in us. My guess is I could draw a graph for every church that is seeking the deeper presence of the Lord, and it looks like this. Like steps going up. And what happens is the Holy Spirit comes and there's a great revelation, perhaps signs and wonders, perhaps healing, and suddenly we're taking off. We think, this is great. The aeroplane has left the floor. And then suddenly it seems to tail off and we think, oh no, the Lord has left us. But what we don't understand is the Lord is teaching us to walk by faith and not by sight. To walk in the goodness of the revelation we received. However, if you stop too soon, the Lord waits for another time to take you off and yet another uh, elevation takes place. If another taking off happens. And then again you're called to walk in the goodness of what you've received. God initiates. We get hungry but that is not the end but the beginning. We're being prodded and provoked into seeking more of the Lord. Seek his hand. Sorry, seek his face, not just his hand. Seek him for who he is. If I said to my wife, thank you so much, darling. I love you because you cook so greatly. She would say, well, that's, that's all right. But actually, I'd like you to appreciate me for who I am. It's not just enough to say, thank you, Lord, you've done this. But, Lord, I love you because you are like this. Does that make sense? Well, why don't you think of a great building? I don't know where, you know, Bamburgh Castle. Bamburgh Castle up in the northeast, Northumberland. Amazing castle. Looks like it's been growing there for centuries on the side of the beach there. It's amazing. Uh, It just looks every kind of vision of what a castle should be like. It's a mammoth kind of rock thing. And supposing you're you're traveling along uh, the road from uh, from Holy Island to Bamburgh, and as you're going along the road... And it's at night, suddenly the castle is lit up by the most amazing spotlights. And, and of course, the reason for the spotlights is not that you should go, wow, great spotlights. (laughs) But you should go, wow, what a castle. And the Holy Spirit always points away from himself to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more filled with the Spirit you are, the more you fall in love with the man Christ Jesus. And you go, what amazing Savior. What a fantastic Lord. And so desiring God begins with us being filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. I believe in the second experience of the Holy Spirit between the first and the third I believe in the fifth experience between the fourth and the sixth I believe in the ninth experience between the eighth and the tenth do you get this? if I had a balloon with me and I blew it up and I blew it through it was a quarter full the balloon would be full of air If I put some more air in and the balloon was now half full, it would still be full of air. What's happening is the balloon's capacity to receive is increasing. It is stretching and more air is being given into it. And thus it is with us. The capacity for us to receive more and more of the Holy Spirit should grow. You should be hungry and greedy for more of the Lord. And if you don't, There is something wrong with you. If you're not hungry for more, it's a sign of a spiritual malaise, a spiritual sickness. You are off your food and Jesus is the bread. I want you to get hungry. Because when you're hungry, everything else will flow. When you have this kind of sense unless you bless me I will not let you go and the reason why I spent my time on the face before the Lord is I just said oh God I'm desperate for you I can't do this I have a great commute every morning across the car park to the church there's not a lot of prayer I can get in but every day I say these words. Lord, I can't. You never said I could. Lord, you can. You always said you would. That's my prayer every, every time I cross the car park. Lord, I can't. You never said I could. Without me, you can do nothing. Zero, zip, zilch, nothing, not a thing. So you might like to write down this great prayer, this great theological prayer. This prayer has helped me more than anything else in the whole of my life. You might like to take a pen and paper and write it down so you use it every day of your life, every moment of your life. It's a very simple prayer. You can remember it very easily. And it's simply, help! Help! That's another book and prayer I could write again. It joins the great series of early reader's guide to the Christian life. I think probably ought to be produced in a bath edition with thick pages. Probably one letter on each page. Lord, I can't. You never said I could. Lord, you can. You always said you would. I love the African story of the flea on the back of an elephant as they crossed over a swing bridge and the bridge went backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards and as it crossed the other side the flea said to the elephant, boy didn't we make that bridge swing (laughs) Turn to Philippians chapter 3 So turn, turn right from Genesis. Did you hear about the preacher who going to speak about the first three words in the Bible, and he spoke on genuine bonded leather. <laughs> think about it. Think about it. She's got it. So Paul writes. Philippians 3, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And he lists, verse 3, we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, put no confidence in the flesh. And then he lists. He lists the seven blessings that he has, the seven advantages that he has. Circumcision on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, As to legalistic righteousness, faultless. Seven blessings. Seven blessings of his old life, and this is what he says, and this is Eugene Peterson's rendering of it. Everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. It's dog dung. You'll know that Paul actually uses a word that is vulgar, and there is an English equivalent. I've dumped it all in the rubbish so I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I gave up all that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally, experience his resurrection and power, be a partner in his suffering and go all the way to death itself. There is no doubt, can there be folks, that he'd met with Christ. And that encounter had changed him from the inside out. Suddenly, his priorities were changed, and everything he looked at was different. He began to see things totally, totally, totally different. Folks, I want to lose my heart to Christ day by day. I figure I was created to be engrossed by Him. I reckon He wants me to be enamored and thrilled by Him. Who He is, no less than by what He does. What would it be be like to be utterly enthralled by the immensities of his character or enraptured by his ways? I want to be excited by Christ. I want to be held in worshipful awe before his face. I want to be astounded and absorbed by the depths of wisdom and love that I find there. I want to be a gog at his work in my life. I want to get to the point where I see him face to face and to fall down before his feet and kiss him and say, Lord, you've done all things well. Look at my life. You lifted me out of the pit. You put a new song in my heart. You changed me. You didn't treat me as my sins deserve. Oh God, you've done all things well. I want to be staggered all the way he leads me. And still I want more of him. I want my capacity to receive more of him to increase. I want to enjoy and know and contemplate and become like him. I want to lose myself to him. I want to be found lost in wonder, love and praise. I want to know what it is that caused Charles Wesley to be completely enraptured Charles Wesley was preaching in the open air in the Midlands. People were urinating on him from the trees. People were throwing stones at him. He lifted up the name of Jesus and suddenly they all kind of froze. And he stopped preaching and sat down by the side of the hedge and he wrote, Jesus the name, high over all. Do you get this? Do you understand this? So he's not just out there doing stuff for other people but he's doing stuff for you here in Stoke Gifford and you can say God you are doing this for us why can't we be more thunderstruck and thrilled with Christ than any mad lover is with his mate Samuel Rutherford wrote this I think so much of Christ, I don't know where to place him. I cry down, down, down with the world and up, up, up with Christ. I would have him in the highest and the most exalted place for he is the chief of thousands upon thousands, nay millions of millions. There is no one like him. I want to be found wrapped in his presence, intent upon everything he does. Like the psalmist says, like a weaned child upon a mother's knee. Like the eyes of a servant looking to the Lord. I just want him to say, this is the way, walk in it. Like the seraphim, the burning one, shining constantly, looking to the Lord, intent upon where he wants them to go. Do you know St. Seraphim of Saroph? Saint Seraphim of Sarif was a Russian mystic in the 19th century, and this is what he used to do. He used to do this for 14 years as a hermit in the forest. On Mondays, from sunrise to sunset, he would read aloud Matthew's Gospel as many times as possible. On Tuesday, he'd read Mark's Gospel from sunrise to sunset aloud as many times as possible. On Wednesday he'd read Luke's Gospel, on Thursday he'd read John's Gospel, on Friday he'd read Acts, and on Saturday he'd read Romans to Revelation aloud as many times as possible from sunrise to sunset. Then he'd pray in tongues for four hours every night, and he did this for 14 years, and absolutely nobody came to see him, except a journalist came at the end of the 14 years to wonder what this man was doing in the forest, And as he was talking to him, he noticed, and you can read his account, he noticed that this man's face was shining with the glory of God. You see, you become what you look like. You become what you behold. And suddenly, as this seraphim touched the reporter, he too was filled with the liquid glory of God. And then people came from all over the place and he cast out their demons and healed their sicknesses and raised their dead. And the question I have for you is this: Would you rather be shut away with the Lord for 14 years, that you might experience that? Or would you percent, would you be pursuing this constant round of endless, mindless busyness? Establishing your own virtue and not relying upon the virtue of the Lord. What do you reckon? There was an amazing preacher called David Morgan. Actually, he wasn't an amazing preacher, he was the most boring preacher the world has ever seen. He lived in Bala in Wales. And uh, like often happens, uh, there was a clergy meeting which some visiting speaker was uh, invited to come to a Pentecost weekend, a wit weekend, and this speaker couldn't make it. And it was this embarrassing situation that all people are familiar with, is they say, well, well who's going to take his place? And David Morgan said, I will. Now, you see, David Morgan was the most boring preacher in the world. He would uh, cause people to fall asleep before he'd even finished praying. So, But however, he volunteered. I mean, it was a great kindness that he did. He, he volunteered, and, and the clergy, being spineless, uh, they said, well, um, that's terribly kind of you, David. I, I, I suppose, I suppose we'd, we, well, anybody else? And they kind of you know, looked down, and, and uh, they're kind of depressed. Anyway, David Morgan speaks, and this is what happens. For the course of four weeks... He says this, the Lion of Judah roared through me. And 500 people gave their lives to the Lord. As he was preaching, people held on to the the pillars of the church. There was an astonishing outpouring of the Spirit. At the end of four weeks, he became boring David Morgan again. And so some kind person said to him, well, Boyor, what do you think of that? He says, for four weeks, the Lion of Judah roared through me. Can that be said of you at all? I want you to be electrocuted electrified maybe (laughs) I want you to be electrified and captivated by Christ it's not about anybody else but him his kingdom his right to rule over sin, sickness, demons, death, disaster and disunity it's his kingdom It's not my church, it's his church. It's not my gospel, it's his gospel. It's not my world, it's his world. As the waters cover the sea, so the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge, not of my glory. That would barely cover an ant's back. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And you check yourself. You check your spiritual hunger. You check your pulse to see whether it is Jesus you're falling in love with. Whether it's Jesus that you lose your heart to again and again and again and again. I draw to conclusion with a testimony. It's a testimony of Sarah Edwards, Jonathan Edwards' wife. He was a great friend of George Whitfield, The American revival owed much to Jonathan Edwards. But what really touched Jonathan Edwards was the change in his wife. Indeed, what she writes about her experience, Beggar's Belief, it's about 40 pages long. you would be pleased to know I'm not going to read the whole lot, though it would pay your uh, attention to do so. It's in his book, Surprising Accounts of Lord's Revival. Surprising narrative. Anyway, she writes this, Under a delightful sense of the immediate presence and love of God. These words seem to come over and over in my mind. My God, my all. My God, my all. The presence of God was so near and so real that I seemed scarcely conscious of anything else. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ seemed as distinct persons, both manifesting their inconceivable loveliness and mildness and gentleness and their great and unchanging love to me. I seemed to be taken under the care and charge of my God and Savior in an inexpressibly endearing manner, and Christ appeared to me as a mighty Savior under the character of the lion of the tribe of Judah, taking my heart with all its corruptions and putting at his feet. The peace and happiness which I hereupon felt was altogether inexpressible. It seemed to be that that which came from heaven to be eternal and unchanging. I seemed to be lifted above earth and hell out of the reach of everything here below so I could look on all the rage of enmity of men and of devils with a kind of holy indifference and an undisturbed tranquility. At the same time I felt compassion and love for all mankind. A deep Sense of the lostness. The whole world and all its enjoyments and all its troubles seem to be nothing. My God, my all, my God, my all, my only portion. In Jesus' name, do you know anything of that? Lewis said, until we have faces, do you think it all means nothing, all this longing, this longing for home? For indeed it feels now not like going, but like going back. All my life the God of the mountains has been wooing me. Oh, look up once at least before my end and wish me joy. I'm going to my lover. Do you not see now? And in the very last chronicle of Narnia, the last battle, Jewel the Unicorn says this, I have come home at last. This is my real country. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The psalmist says, as for me, it is good to be near the Lord. So, uh, our team have been praying for you all week, uh, all week, and beforehand. And one of them had a picture of what I'm going to share now. After I share this, I'll ask you to stand. Uh, and before 11 o'clock, we'll invite the Spirit to touch us. So, Yvonne, that's Yvonne there. Had a picture of two plates of food. One had a beef burger. And the other was a lovingly prepared cordon bleu type presentation with steak on it. Both the same meat, but so different in preparation and a subsequent meal. So being hungry, I felt that this was about not setting for the Big Mac approach. What is easiest? What is the quickest way to get what you want? But to press in lovingly Put in the time and effort for the bigger and the better and the higher and the more. He'd rather we spend quality time pouring our love towards him, to linger over the meal with him. It's not just about the quick fix. See, it's a waste of time, us being here, really, if you think it's about the quick fix. I'm not interested in any quick fixes. For me, the best understanding of discipleship is contained in the Eugene Peterson's phrase, a long obedience in the same direction. I want us to be long and obedient. I want us to keep on keeping on. I don't want us to be those who put the hand to the plan and then look back because you're not fit for the kingdom of God. I want us to be, keep on the field of play. Too many Christians take off the field, take themselves off the field of play when the Lord doesn't heal as much as he used to or whatever. I do want you to keep on keeping on until you see all that God has purpose for you and for Stoke Gifford through you come about. Let's stand. So I'm going to explain to you why we're going to say come Holy Spirit. It's not because he's out in Botswana and thinks, oops, must go to Stoke Gifford. Uh, Of course he is in Botswana uh, and he does want to come to Stoke Gifford. It is a different of perception, a different of manifestation. Matthew 28, Jesus said, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You understand that? The Great Commission, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Luke 5, uh, 16, 17, 18, 18, 19, somewhere around there, it says, the presence of the Lord was there to heal the sick. There is two manifestations of the same promise. The Lord is here. Come Holy Spirit is an ancient prayer. It's a prayer that's been sung in monasteries. And for those of you who are interested, it's part of the Book of Common Prayer ordination liturgy. We're praying for the Holy Spirit to make his presence known. So what I'd like you to do, I'd like you to close your eyes. To put your hands out as if you're receiving bread at communion. And I want you to say this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you're for me. Thank you that you're not mad at me in any way. Please cleanse me from all unbelief, all fear, and all unrighteousness. And give me the Holy Spirit. Amen. And amen means... Well, I know you think it means so be it, but really it means yes, that's what I want. So, let's just ask the Spirit to come. Father God, for Christ's sake, send the power of the Spirit. Let the power come. See the power of God. See the power of God right across this room. May the presence of the Lord rest upon us. It's not a gift of emotion. It's a decision you make in the presence of the Lord to be available for him. Come, Holy Spirit. There he goes. Let the power come. Enable and equip So my ministry team, we've all got badges on with a sort of fire and Ernest jolly Wood thing on. Would you just bless people? Don't say anything. Just bless people. People you think I've got the Holy Spirit touching them. Just bless them. Just say, "We bless you in the name of the Lord. We've got 30 seconds, so I want you to get going now.